Welcome everyone to Anonymous Addiction at My Truth About AA as Bobby C sees it. And I'm Bobby C. I'll be your host today. You know, this is this is a deprogramming podcast. This pro- podcast is, is hopefully going to help people deprogram from a lot of different things. You know, uh, I always I always say I'm, I'm uncovering, recovering and discovering the truth about myself, about AA, about the 12 step program, about society, about the world and about the universe. You know, I met I met Che from Facebook. We belong to a few groups together. And uh, we chatted a little bit yesterday. You know, this podcast, I don't edit anything on this podcast. So this is like reality. Okay. It's recorded, but I don't do any editing. Now, I met Che uh, on these these deprogramming podcasts. We talked briefly. And I mentioned, uh, I wanted to, I'd like to do a podcast. And we went back and forth for about a week or two. And, and she gracefully uh, said, excuse me, Bobby. Yeah. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. I'm not a, she, I'm not a, he, so. Them. Yes. Great. See that now let's touch base on that a little bit. Tell me a little bit about that because me being the age I am and living in back in the olden days, we have to get used to this. So I do too. So could you explain that just a, just a tad? Let's go right into that. Explain that a little bit. Sure. Um, well, I was born in 63. And back then there were two options. You could be a boy or a girl. And I never felt like either one of them. And so I, that was part of, part of my struggle, part of my trauma. Um, and just recently, I um, one of the many closets that I've came out over the years was that binary closet and realized that I don't have to be a boy or a girl, a man or a woman. I'm not either. I'm, I can be both or neither. And so um, I, am, I consider myself binary, non-binary, and I use the they, them pronouns. Okay, so that's great. So I would say I met Che. They. I don't even like I don't even have to use they or them, do I? I could just say Che. Right? This way I don't even have to describe anything, which is kind of kind of good, which is which is where I'm at really with no labels, you know. My whole I'm all about labels. You are it's, all about them? Well, in in some respects because it's we have to start somewhere with words and you know and labels are not necessarily all defining but it's a good place to start out with um and then you know talking it out processing it out learning more and expanding using more words to get a greater understanding and more nuance beautiful i you know i i like that okay because i believe we're all teachers and students i'm here not to tell anybody how to live their life. I'm not here to tell anybody to think like me. And uh, Che, I don't think she's here to do that either. So I, they. I, I, they, I'll get it sooner or later. It takes a while. It took me a while. I still misgender myself when I get pissed off and start <laughs> ranting at somebody about misgendering me. Let's <laughs> get it. Let's, let's, you know what? Let's get into and, and, interrupt me every time I screw up, screw that up, but let's get back to, um, 
early age diagnosis. When did you start feeling like that? When did you come out of the closet? Let's say, let's talk about the, if you want to call it an addiction, uh, did you get seek help early on? What was your childhood like and how did you transition and how did you get into Alcoholics Anonymous or any type of program? How did you, what, what was your life during it and how did you transition out of it? So I'm going to just let you rant and go, go with it. All right. Well, as I said, or I think I said, I was born in 63 in a small town in Southwest Missouri, um, raised by a Baptist family. And um, they are very close, like this close to being flat earthers. <laughs> so I was surrounded by believers and 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 expectations, society's expectations, uh, the, the church, and their expectations, and none of it made sense. Um, I was a gifted child. I was uh, quite a voracious reader, and one of, I was fortunately allowed to read a lot. My grandma took me to the libraries, she, uh, the bookmobiles, the her college library when I was you know six, seven years old, and and she went to the local college and got an associate's degree. Um, so I was reading her textbooks as a kid, uh, learning about mythology and child development and child psychology, every, everything she studied, I studied with her. Um, and I was terribly depressed because nothing made sense. I asked a lot of questions and in some places I was allowed to ask those questions and in other places it was not allowed. You're just supposed to believe. And if you have doubts, then you're headed for hell. You can't be lukewarm. Um, you know, you have to be on fire for God or whatever. And uh, it just, it, I tried to make it make sense. And the more I tried to make it make sense, the more out of tune I felt. Um, moved around a lot. There was a lot of abuse in my home and my life. Um, and Finally, by the age of, I think it was around 15, I was in, it was my sophomore year in high school, um, 10th grade, and that's when I started using drugs and alcohol. I think of it today as it was a solution for me. It was not a problem for me at all. It was the answer to my problem. Um, I had a lot of voices in my head. And, you know, the voices from the church and, and the family and, and the society's expectations are just talking at me nonstop. Plus, I have a, a dissociative identity disorder. Some days I don't consider it a disorder. Some days it's quite disordered, but it is what it is. And um, there's a lot of myths and misunderstandings and and about what that is um and you see it's still something that i'm working on and you know learning about today but i got into drugs and alcohol and my sophomore year in high school and that allowed me to basically start fighting back against the abuse against the oppression in the church um and by now we had moved so many several times went through the satanic panic and, and then the Southern Baptist Convention started, I don't know, Anita Bryant and, and went crazy in Florida and 
or something, you know, um, everybody was so freaking terrified of everything in the world. And it was just, it was just so messed up. And so drugs and alcohol allowed me to actually feel like I could exhale, you know, stop holding my breath. Let me let me go back and ask you a little bit about you. You mentioned uh, when we were talking uh, on the on the on the phone, you were you were talking about gifted, being gifted with. You, you used the word autistic. Okay, could you talk about that just briefly? That was kind of before. Did you discover that before you started picking up using? I really didn't think too much of it at the time. I remember, I remember in fourth grade they were doing some reading comprehension test and speed reading and and they just everybody kept they kept bringing more and more people in to watch me you know they had this machine that covered the words on the page and it moved at a certain speed and you know to see how fast you could read and and comprehend what you're reading and they had to keep speeding it up and Mm -hmm. i just like i can read i can read i can read it and then they were like what, but do you understand what you read? And so then I'd explain what I read and then they'd go out and they'd bring more people in and you know, watch me do this. Like, uh, doesn't everybody do this? Was it, was there any, did, did anyone diagnose you with autistic, uh, behavior? I mean, Oh no, this was, this was, you know, the sixties and early seventies oh, okay. in Missouri and Kansas. So no, no, no it was just, it was, a, you know, they, I don't know what they did, but I, I did end up in the National Junior Honor Society about the time that I hit puberty and the sexual abuse that happened in my household that year. Um, I, I basically, I disappeared that year. That was seventh grade. And so for a couple of years or a few years there, I just, other than music and band, which, um, I played a variety of different instruments um, and was in like the Tulsa All City Band, uh, the Springfield Youth Symphony, and that's that's the only that was about the only safe place for me was you know about music and band. So would you say that you you I think did you mention that you kind of diagnosed yourself with like autistic tendencies or no or did someone else maybe a doctor or psychiatrist or something? I've, I've been diagnosed and, and misdiagnosed by a variety of professionals over the years. I don't think, I don't know which ones of them are accurate because they did not consider um, religious trauma syndrome. They did not consider me as, you know, autism, what, what they knew, I guess, about autism at the time. Um, I don't have access to um, the services, uh, doctors, professionals right now, I'm on the Medicare disadvantage plan, you know, Medicare for not all people. <laughs> and so I, I can't even get a primary care doctor where I live right now. They won't accept me as a patient because I used to be, um, on pain management medications on narcotics for chronic pain and so now I can't even get a doctor. So no, I am self-diagnosed um, with, uh, I'm a self-diagnosed autistic um, adult. And that that's just been recent, the last couple of years where I started following um, like the 
uh, uh, I hope I get this right, Neurodivergent Rebel on uh, Facebook and Instagram and uh, uh, some others, uh, autism, um, autistic activists and have, it's like, oh my God, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. I am autistic as fuck. So, okay. No, I'm not. I'm making it up. Surely I'm, 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 it's not me. It's like, no, no, it is. It is. It's totally me. So how about the other diagnosis, the dis, um, disassociation or what what was that? DID. Yeah. Yeah. That, that came about as a result of going through three different psychiatric units. Um, later, you know, sometime is, I think it was 2008. Um, but now is that during your addiction too, like with alcohol and drugs? No, no, no. I, I had, um, it was about, I was at 25 years old and going through a divorce. I had been, I tried to be married. I tried to be a a housewife. I tried to be, um, a lot of things that I wasn't because they, everybody told me that that's what I was supposed to do. And I wanted to do this shit right. But anyway, I was going through a divorce. I had two kids. I was trying to go back to college. Um, I had been drinking a lot. I was suicidal and depressed and, and just the only option that I felt I had left at that time was I guess I'll try that AA stuff. My dad, my father was in and out of AA. So, and having been raised by believers, it seemed like, uh, like it would be a viable solution for dealing with my trauma. I didn't know that. I mean, they, they say in AA that alcohol is just a symptom, but when you get in there, it's also the disease. It's also the problem. It's also something you're allegedly allergic to. And, you know, they say we need to get down to causes and symptoms, right? Well, and, or causes and conditions or uh, whatever underneath why, well, you know, but then it's all, it becomes all victim blaming bullshit. You know, you're powerless. It's all your own damn fault. You need to pull yourself up by your own damn bootstraps and pray more. And then, you know, and, and make yourself to be of maximum service and bring more people into the cult so we can have more money or power, whatever the fuck they're doing there. Yeah, it's I'm kind sorry, of can, like, I, can I cuss here? Yeah, you can cuss. <laughs> so, so kind of you were like, we all felt cognitive dissidents where we were, they were saying this one thing and saying this other thing and it was kind of contradicting each other all these messages were kind of contradicting each other and then the circle the steps kind of made you in a circle that never ending i always the circle jerk of never ending <laughs> circle mind fuck okay uh, never ending constant confession and amends and the 10th step and continue to take personal inventory and continue to search and help others. And you must give it away to keep it and blah, 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 as you know, all the horseshit. So you're 25, you're, you're age 25, 1989, you're divorced. You already had children. You're still, you knew something was, was up. You knew something was going on. Okay. You knew you weren't really feeling what you really were or are, or, you know, so you're coming out, you're coming out. 
then you're going back to college and you joined AA. Okay. So now build a God worship and service work there. So you get into Alcoholics Anonymous and then what? Well, I was first, I was really glad that while there was a lot of God talk and so forth, they weren't telling me which God I had to believe in because I had rejected the whole nonsense about, you know, what the Baptists, what I grew up with and what the Baptists had told me about a loving God who made us determined to go to hell and he had to save us from his plan. I was like, what the fuck? And, but, you know, so I could, you know, they told me I could make, I could believe in any God that I wanted to. I could, you know, choose my, I could choose my, I could build a God. It's a build a God workshop. Yeah, right. And, you know, build it out of doorknobs or ashtrays, yeah. um, which I don't think have any more power than they say that we do. But, well, unless you hit somebody upside the head with an ashtray, that might have some power. But, uh, oh, it's a mess. No, um, I, no, I can relate that. So continue. So uh, you joined AA, did you get a sponsor? Oh, I got a sponsor. Oh, yeah, I got a sponsor. Um, I got a sponsor who taught who I met at a speaker meeting, and she was describing her life and 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 outing herself uh, as a lesbian. Oh, it in this area, who does that? You know, because that was that was that was supposed to be that's that's a sin. You know, an abomination. Uh, and I think I am one, maybe, I don't know. Oh shit. So anyway, I asked her to be my sponsor and within a very short time, um, even though she had time in the program and she moved in with me as my girlfriend and, um, which I later learned is what they call 13 stepping. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, I'm thinking, well, I am an adult. I make my own decisions. I was a traumatized fucker didn't know shit from shit and vulnerable and the you know i got love bombed and shit that feels good you know yeah, yeah. and everybody loves you and brings you in and wants to you know prop you up and make you feel good about you, love you until you can love yourself right. and it's like i ate that shit up and right. so yeah i've swallowed i swallowed the whole program hook line and sinker i studied those texts i read uh, all of the books you know, the history books, the, the, the 12 step books, the, 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 the grapevine. Um, I became very active in service work. I was on a variety of, uh, I was on the literature committee, the grapevine committee, uh, you know, uh, GSR, um, whatever I wanted, you know, I needed to stay busy. Um, and I needed to find a way to get out of my house because my babies, my children were at that age where they were starting to trigger uh, my, my, own, my own childhood trauma. And now I'm unmedicated. You know, I'm not drinking to numb those feelings. I'm not getting, doing drugs to, to quiet those voices. Um, and I'm, at the end of my first year of sobriety, I was more suicidal than I'd ever been in my life. I had a new sponsor now. I'd kicked that girlfriend out of my house, had a new sponsor. And fortunately for me, that sponsor, when I told her that I wanted to die, she said, uh, I understand homicide, 
but I don't understand suicide. So we need to get you some professional help. That is not something that happens frequently in that cult in the 12 steps. If I had gone to any number of other people with that confession, they would have told me I needed to do a more, you know, another inventory, look for my part in it, get, you know, pray away my character defects and do more service work. Right. And that's what was killing me. So that but, was your second sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. Or third or fourth. I don't third know. Or fourth I or went through them like. But you like, did. You did work. You you considered yourself work through the steps, and you're working through all oh, the yeah. steps, and doing all the service, and you're a trusted servant, and you're giving your will and your life over to the care of whatever this hierarchy pyramid of Alcoholics Anonymous, and you're doing your service work, moving up the step of the ladder. I always say that you know, like Che was part of the I call it the controlling minority. Okay, because. Most of us are down this bottom, the, the silent majority. They want us to believe that the pyramid's upside down and the, and the group, the groups and all us silent majority are controlling anything. And that's all bullshit. Okay, so Che knows. Um, oh, I was an insufferable asshole as mother, a, as mother a sponsor, mother, as, yeah. a, as a servant. I mean, it was never on my intention, no. you know, to be an asshole. No. It is now sometimes, but at then it was not. No, that's why I don't, you know, there's other uh, kind of deprogramming podcasts that really talk about members and stuff like that. I don't, look, I was a member, you were a member, and we did some things as a members that we look back on and say, boy, that was not healthy, okay? Me personally, I didn't buy a lot of the stuff in the beginning. I was really open, stayed open, and I didn't buy all the sponsorship. I had a sponsor, but he was my friend. I consider him my friend. You know, he had he had two girls. I had two uh, the two girls, two daughters. Uh, his wife kind of hung with my wife. He was a construction dude. He took me to meetings. He didn't he didn't he didn't shove the steps down my throat and stuff like that. I didn't go to a step meeting until a year uh, later after the program. You know, I didn't go to a lot of meetings and stay sober. I didn't do the steps and stay sober. Even though eventually I did all those things that we're told to do. You know. You, how you going to stay in a program as long as we did not do them so but we i found out you know the thing like this when che is talking we're not talking about war stories we're talking about life they life experience this is life experience into through your through your life through our lives into alcoholics anonymous because it felt like it was at back then for me it was the only game in town I don't know about you. Oh, yeah. Right. So it's the only game in town that kind of we are victims in a sense in the beginning. What the hell? You know, we're victims of our own self uh, of this so-called disease concept because society has put it on us and just told us what we are, who we are, and, and said that this is the only place to go unless you're going to die. So what the yeah. hell? Yeah, I, I was a victim of society. So that's why this the programming podcast is about AA 12 step society in the yeah. world okay so getting back to that let's see we're talking about uh one year sobriety good sponsor took me to the professional <clears throat> you that's where you left off at you were kind of talking about you finally got a good person that kind of gave you some sound advice and said that hey look i'm not god i'm not a priest i'm not a therapist i'm not professional even though we know we both know that we are professionals in our own experience 
okay? And some of this professionalism stuff, all it is is copying stuff that they're being taught, programmed from the outside exterior society, being programmed, and then they call themselves professionals. You know, you could go through 10, 15 professional therapists and maybe luckily find really one great one. So you were fortunate enough to find a friend that kind of directed you. Uh, that's where you left off at. So continue there, Che. Well, I, I stayed in the program for about six, seven years. And like I said, I had been in, before I came into the program, I was married. Uh, that was an abusive, violent relationship. And then I came into the program and came out of the closet and got into another uh, relationship only with a woman this time. And it was just as violent, just as crazy making as ever. Um, and I found I couldn't do that sober. She was drinking copious amounts of alcohol and I was trying to stay sober and she was insanely jealous. And so even my world was shrinking because I wanted to do this relationship right. Um, and, and so I allowed myself to um, give in all the time, you know, to, to placate and try to manage her feelings and, and walk on eggshells and, and uh, prove that I was loyal prove that I wasn't a cheater, prove I wasn't everything that she kept accusing me of. And so I stopped going to meetings. I, because, you know, she was the thought that I was doing things there. Um, I stopped going all these places and just my world shrunk. And my therapist, I'd been going to therapy for, you know, about five years. And my therapist, early on, my therapist said, what if she's saying the same shit in five years that she's saying today. And I'm like, that's not possible. I will love her well. I mean, you know, what into wellness. I don't think I said that, but I think that was one of my misbeliefs that if I could just love somebody well enough, they would not do that shit. You know, they would, they would change. <laughs> yeah. They would change. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so I, I couldn't conceive that it would still be like this five years from now. Five years later, we're going through the same shit, the same fight um, that happened like every month. She's telling me she's fucking sick of my shit and to get the fuck out. And, and then I'd try to leave and she'd chase me down going, where are you going? You can't leave me. And so I'm like, oh, I don't kind know. Kind of, uh, would you kind of consider uh, narcissistic uh, kind of narcissism, right? I, I won't, I can't no. label anybody. Um, no. Uh, or diagnose anybody, but definitely the behavioral uh, patterns and, and um, manipulations do tend toward that narcissistic edge of whatever that, you know, so that's, spectrum so is. that you're, you're like uh, six, seven years in the program then, right? Yeah. And I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't keep, I couldn't stay sober and live with that. And so I thought, okay, fine. If I can't beat them, I'll join them. So I went out and got drunk and uh, realized I got drunk a few times and then I realized I don't like this. I don't like being obliterated. You know, I've, I've had, I had all those years um, sober and 
you know, things were starting to clear. I feel like they were, I don't know what I thought at the time, but I, uh, I knew I didn't like being drunk and found out that I didn't have to get drunk when I drank. Now, did you go, like, now did you start, you started some education, did you start, go, you went back to college? I did. I, I went, um, I left the program, went back to college and left that, that, uh, that relationship, got out of that and. And then, and then what happened? You got out um, of that relationship, you went, you, did you, uh, what happened after, after the college deal? Well, I started climbing the corporate ladder. I had plans on, I wanted to do something, you know, with um, nonprofit organizations. I had been lobbying at the state capitol for um, queer rights for so that we could have the right to marry who we wanted to marry, um, which was not legal at the time. So I was lobbying. I was the president, uh, the campus president of the national organization uh, for women um, uh, now for two years in a row while I was you know finishing my degree my bachelor's degree and leading rallies and marches and um, so I was very active and I wanted to I wanted to do that I wanted to be a full-time activist I guess but I had to make money and and then those societal expectations you know and keeping up with my sister who you know lives in better homes and gardens and and uh, so I thought success meant you know making money and right you know and and uh, getting promoted and and being in charge and and all that stuff. So as insufferable as I was in the program, I took that shit into um, the world of capitalism and call centers and did a lot of harm there. Um, <laughs> And what happened after the educational type uh, success deal? Well, I well you you mentioned DBT. What that happened? Com then? That comes later because as I was climbing up the corporate ladder, um, I ended up taking a swan dive from the top of it and caught myself with my face, <laughs> and uh, I I no longer able to work. Um, I I went through three different psychiatric hospitals um suicidal i was in chronic pain um i've got problems with my neck bone spurs uh compromised nerve roots and numbness tingling fibromyalgia um i don't even know what all um uh, just pain constant chronic pain and so i started going to uh pain management and they put me on uh, uh narcotics and a lot of and it, which ended up being a lot of narcotics over the years but at that time i didn't drink with that i was very serious about taking my medication as prescribed i had to put i gave my I set up several mind hacks so that i would not overtake my medicine um i usually took less than i was prescribed um so it's very it's very important that i did that right as well um, and I spent several years managing my pain with physical therapy, um, needles in my neck. They, they shot my neck up with so much shit. I made up new curse words. Um, 
And <laughs> then I decided no more needles because it didn't help. It wasn't helping. Uh, the only thing that, that was helping were the narcotics that they didn't take away the pain uh, by any means, but it certainly dulled it. And, you know, and, and, uh, Oxy having, oxycodones or not? No, um, I did get, I was on fentanyl patches and hydrocodone, <clears throat> a lot of hydrocodone and muscle relaxers. And then more antidepressants, you know, everything had a, had a side effect. And, and so they gave me more medications to handle the side effects. Those medications had side effects and it, it just became monstrous. So, so how did you get through, let's see, uh, work, apply for a good disability, move back home, back in my own community. Oh, so after all that, <clears throat> how long was that? How long did, was that transition out of AA? <clears throat> climbing the success, capitalist, capitalism, blah, blah, blah. And then you, you, you kind of crashed and then you went back to the community, AA community. I did. Um, it was in 2008 <clears throat> that I, the, the, the dark, I call it the dark passenger in my mind, who's, who has uh, one solution to everything whether it's a problem or a you know, success, their only solution is reset, <laughs> do it again, uh, start over, let's die. And, and uh, so I, I had to learn to recognize that that's just one of the voices, one of the programs that plays in my head. And, but, but at the time it was, it was very loud and I was, convinced that maybe that was the only way, but I didn't want to die. So I checked myself in to uh, the psychiatric hospital and, and uh, insurance decided after three days that I was well enough to return to, you know, the, my position as a cog in the corporate machine, go back to work. <laughs> and so I tried to do that. And it, I was not ready for that and ended up in a second hospital in a uh, very short amount of time. And then uh, again, the same thing repeated, only this time I jumped out of a, I, I threw myself out of a moving, via, uh, an accelerating vehicle, rolled to a stop in front of the front doors of Best Buy, caused a stop and stare, and they took me to the state hospital this time um because i don't know maybe i the insurance is like yeah we don't know what to do with them put them away uh, and that's what i was scared of that they were gonna put me away and i was never gonna get out and this place was worse than the cuckoo's nest which was one of my biggest fears all my life you know that i would end up in the in there yeah and, yeah i understand i worked in a psychiatric hospital for about 13 years now, let me let me just we're going to probably have to do a two part series. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, just remember, this is a deprogramming podcast and we're going to really get into the, you know, Che is they're talking about uh, the life experience. We're not this is not a war story that we're talking in Alcoholics Anonymous, raising our hand and giving a war story. We're going not to get my into, drunk-a-logue. No, this is not a drunk-a-logue. Okay, we're, we're deprogramming because Che is going to get into all the stuff when she was in and how she started they, to, be, they started to uh, get out of um, 
get out of the program. Of course, she went back in. So I'm going to continue, but we have we may only have about another because this podcast only allows us uh, 45 minutes. But don't forget to subscribe. Okay, we're going to be back too to finish this all up and talk about the activism and talk about the musics and and where 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 Che's going uh, from here and uh, how she's. She, I said it again. They's going to create. They are going to create uh, a new podcast, and it, it's 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 continue. You're back in AA. You're coming back in Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, um, I went on disability after all those hospital stays, and I I did go in at I did go into an intensive outpatient DBT program that was life changing. Um. And I did that and therapy for a while. So and to tell us what the tell us what D B tell DBT? us what that, yeah tell us what that initial stand for dialectical behavioral therapy if I recall correctly. Okay, I don't recall a lot of shit correctly, so don't take my word for that. Yeah, you, you know, look it so up. So if you had if you had to describe it in sim simple language, as far as like rational, logical, critical thinking type of almost CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy or not? There was a lot of talking and group, um, but also it included mindfulness activities and grounding um, because I, especially as a dissociative um, person who dissociate, you know, is I'm not in my body a lot. I, it was not safe for me to be in my body. So I spent most of my mind, most of my mind in my mind, most of my time in my mind and um having been a voracious reader and i i and a, a storyteller um with a vivid imagination um i built worlds in my head and they were it was uh it was a preferable existence in you know in my in the stories in my head so you're saying that the dbt therapy really helped you prior to going back into alcoholics anonymous yes okay so you you finally discovered that okay. i learned how to listen to the voices and in my head and and untangle them um and and listen to what it was that they were saying and then start countering them because i was telling myself a bunch of lies um i didn't i didn't really know that right so what i'm hearing is that like even I've studied a lot of CBT, a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah, you're kind of rewiring your rational uh, beliefs, irrational from rational beliefs, and sorting it out and saying, no, that's not true. That's bullshit. Right. Okay, so, and the catastrophic thinking, the all or nothing. Right. right, um, right. Yeah. So I, I wasn't really aware of all of that that was going on and, and driving me to do things so, that which I didn't is, want which, to do. So, which is great. So that happened probably uh, 20, let's see, 2013, maybe no, 2012. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2012, 2013, that happened. And then, so you decided maybe you wanted a community again. So the only community you really knew was Alcoholics Anonymous because we didn't have, you know, maybe there was other choices there, but it, it wasn't presented to us at the time. And it, just probably wasn't right, but you went back to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know what? We're probably going to have to maybe leave it there the second time Che goes back to Alcoholics Anonymous. And 
the story just will continue and we'll, we'll demonstrate how Che and myself created our own program as we're speaking. We're, we are creating our own programs. We don't need to be, we are programming ourselves. See? And we're not powerless. Not powerless. No, we don't believe in powerless. We don't believe in a disease concept. Uh, and Che will, uh, they will get into how the journey for her, them, her. them, <laughs> them kept on evolving, you know, like myself, evolving. And we'll continue that with uh, part two of this. But before we do leave, give a little words out, a little shout out to uh, you want to maybe say something to the viewer before we leave. We're going to go part two on this. So give a little shout out to somebody or something and just say say a couple words to the viewers. Five more minutes. All right. Well, first, um, my life is so different today. And I have put a lot of work into that, making that happen, making a safe place for myself. And um, I am... I want to shout out to the atheist community of Austin uh, for all of the work that the volunteers and, and, and everyone does in that community to put out um, the, the YouTube streams and the podcast that had a huge impact on um, helping me, taking me through uh, my destruction, uh, destruction, my deconstruction, and um, also um, the book Leaving the Fold, Dr. Marlene Winnell has a, a journey free uh, organization. And I went through a, a, a five month intensive uh, program, a group to, uh, you know, learn about and, and help deal with my religious trauma. So right now, those are the um, and then of course, all of the people that are involved in in uh, trying to expose the AA and the 12 step cults. And, uh, because those are, those are my main areas that, and then also you can find me on, uh, Instagram at doing you outside the lines, which is D O A N Y A, um, outside the lines. And, uh, don't forget, check us out on the next podcast, part two. This is Anonymous Addiction as Bobby C sees it. I'm Bobby C. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. We'll see you again in part two. Take care now. Bye-bye.